0: Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you had a wonderful time celebrating Thanksgiving with your loved ones. and Now we're gearing up for Christmas and I always look forward to that celebration as well. But I'm also very thankful that you are part of this journey we're on of reading God's Word, not just to learn it, but to encounter Jesus and respond to what He says to us and become more like Christ, to be transformed by Him. So thank you for being with me. Today, we are wrapping up the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, and I want to uh, uh, explain uh, something about the text and then share with you my devotional thought. Your Bible may, some don't, but most Bibles will note, they'll have a footnote or an asterisk or something to let you know that starting at verse 9, verse 9 through the end of the chapter, that those verses. And it may say, say something in your, in your footnotes like those verses are not, not in the earliest or the earlier manuscripts of Mark's gospel. Now, what does, that, what does that mean? We do not have the original handwritten copy that Mark wrote of Mark. We don't have that for any of the New Testament books. Those are called the autographs. We don't have the originals. What we have are hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of copies. Uh, Some very, very early, back to the first century, others later. uh, uh, Full copies, you might say, of the whole gospel or partial copies, uh, parts of it. We have uh, uh, a lot of letters, other documents from the first, second, and third centuries that quote parts of the New Testament, including parts of uh, Mark's gospel. Um, And the reason we can know... Uh, what the original that Mark wrote said is because through analysis of comparing all of these copies, uh, the, the agreement is overwhelming, and, and, and we can see if somewhere along the way, now remember this is before the printing press and so on, if someone in copying the, the gospel made a mistake, then others used his copy and they repeated that mistake. In these families of documents or manuscripts, we can see that mistake uh, repeated. But when you compare everything, you can, you can, you can know very confidently that what, what the original uh, letter that Mark wrote actually said. And that's true for all of the New Testament books. Now what about these verses verses 9 through 16? Um, were they originally in Mark's gospel and somewhere along the way got lost and then someone found them and put them back? That's possible. It's not likely, but it is possible. Uh, The more likely scenario is that someone later added this because Mark's gospel as it's written, if if verse 8 is the end of it, it's kind of abrupt. The women see the empty tomb and they're astonished and they leave and they don't say anything. And that that seems just like an abrupt ending. That may be how Mark intended to end it. We don't know. Uh, it's more likely that verses 9 and following were added later and then they were multiplied in multiple uh, copies of that and it became the tradition when the Bible was translated into English in the 14, 15, 1600s to include those verses. But through the discovery of older manuscripts, they're not there. And I don't think those verses were part of what Mark originally wrote. Now, having said that, most of what's in those verses is is uh, found in the other gospels. So what you have here is kind of a summary of some of the other appearances of Jesus after the resurrection, and they they are mentioned in Matthew and and Luke and 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 so on. So much of what is is written here in these disputed verses, well, did happen. We know that from the other gospels. I do have to say that verses seventeen and and uh, uh, 18 through there, see, the, just reads because uh, you don't find those verses in in the other gospels, and those verses tend to read differently than anything Jesus ever said. So I doubt their authenticity. Um, uh, so just wanted to point that out. And, uh, but but we can know with with 99.9999999% confidence that. Everything in Mark's gospel up through verse 8 of chapter 16 was what Mark originally wrote. So um, I'm not bothered by having these verses here so long as we acknowledge they probably weren't in the original. So I just wanted to, wanted to say a few words about that. Now, devotionally, what spoke to me is, is, is the women. Um, and what I wrote in my journal was do what you can, do him what you can. Doing what you can And not letting what you can't do or what you can't control paralyze you. I've always just been intrigued by these women. Let's let's look at the first three verses real quickly. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices. So that means they probably did that Saturday evening after sunset when the Sabbath ended. Uh, so that they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, so very early Sunday morning, they came to the tomb when the sun had, come, when, had risen. So, first thing, so they probably didn't buy the spices Sunday morning, they probably did that Saturday evening after the. Because remember, the Jewish day was sunset to sunset. So the Sabbath started on Friday at sunset, ended on Saturday at sunset. And uh, they were saying to one another as they were making their way to the tomb, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? It was a big rock. They did not think they could do it. So they were wondering who will do that. And and you say, well, why didn't they invite someone to go with them, some men? And I get that they could have done that. Maybe they did and none of the men had the courage to do it because they were in hiding. But what, what I am blessed by is these women had made up their mind they were going to go to the tomb and visit the body of Jesus. They were going to anoint his body properly for Jewish burial. They bought the spices and they were on their way to the tomb with the spices. Didn't really have a plan for rolling away the stone, but what they could do as women, they weren't strong enough to roll the stone away, but what they could do, they could buy the spices, they could go to the tomb, they could anoint, and they figured, we'll figure that out when we get there. And I've always liked that story because sometimes some of us spend so much time trying to answer every single question, every single possibility before we do something that we never do anything. Paralysis by analysis. Now, yes, we need to be prudent. We need to evaluate. We need to consider best cases and worst cases. We, yes, we need to plan. But there are moments when you just need to do something because if you keep waiting for the perfect moment, it may never come. Perfect opportunity may never come. When there's something to do and you've got a pretty good plan and you have a heart and a passion, just do it. Um, and so I... I've always appreciated these women, their heart and their passion and their desire and the fact that they took action. They were not guilty of paralysis by analysis. And by the way, some of you have been waiting for five years for the perfect time to invite somebody to church, five years for the perfect time to share your testimony with somebody who's lost, five years for the perfect time to share the gospel. That ought to teach you that if that perfect time hasn't come in five years, that perfect time is never coming. So stop waiting for it and do something. That's the word for today. I'll see you tomorrow as we move from the Gospel of Mark and read Psalm 87. Have a blessed evening, everybody.